How often does your job call you out of bed in the middle of the night? Well, if you were a doctor, it would be often. And generally, there isn't much time to spare. Coffee, doctor? Oh, fine. Have a camel with your coffee. Thanks. You know, this night work's kind of rough, isn't it? That's right. But a camel's always a pleasure. Yes, folks, the pleasing mildness of a camel is just as enjoyable to a doctor as it is to you or me. And according to this nationwide survey, more doctors smoke camels than any other cigarette. Try camels yourself, the cigarette so many doctors enjoy. Welcome to Nurse Talk. I'm Casey Hobbs. And I'm Shane Mason, and we're two of the thousands of nurses on duty today. Damn, that was funny. Doctors prefer camels. That yeah. was a TV commercial from the 50s. And boy, if, sto- if doctors still prefer camels, you'll never know it because everybody's a closet smoker these days. And back in the day, Shane, they did, you know, we did smoke. Yeah, my family doctor, he smoked. <laughs> I he bet did. he yeah, smoked he smoked during back your exam. in his office. <laughs> well, he would. So you'd probably be fired if you smoked and your employer knew it nowadays. But Casey, did you ever work any place where there was a nurse's lounge and did people, nurses smoke in there? Yeah, I did work where there were nurses lounge. And yes, they did smoke. But I got into nursing in 76. So even back then, and it was a very short time that we were allowed to smoke in the nurses lounges. Fairly soon thereafter, even before the 80s, you had to go outside if you were the nurse. Now, patients still smoked in the rooms, and that was a big deal. Right. Um, because, you know, that that was very difficult, um, especially because <laughs> back in the time, egg crate mattresses were very, very flammable. And oh. sadly, we did have um, people burn up. Uh, smoking in their bed and the Whoa. bed catching fire and getting into the egg crate mattress. So that's when we really looked at cutting cigarettes out completely yeah. from even patient care. Yeah, that is a um, not a good outcome. <laughs> it was definitely not a good outcome. But let's put this all into perspective. And of course, there was some positive medical advances happening in the 50s, even if all the doctors, nurses, and scientists were busy smoking. Yeah, that's right, Casey. The 50s gave us the polio vaccine, which dramatically reduced and eventually eradicated polio. It gave us the cardiac pacemaker, which revolutionized resuscitation of patients with heart block and asystole. The pacemaker put out about 150 volts and stimulation with the first pacemakers was painful and required sedation. Doctors could start and stop it manually by a switch. And now it's an in and out invasive surgery and, and you're pretty good to go. Yeah, and that's t- terrible because it was painful in the very beginning when they were doing that. Was the switch <laughs> on their the t- forehead? Was it easy to reach place? <laughs> no, but the shock was a little too great. And let's let's not forget also the heart-lung machine invented by John Hasham Gibbons, Jr., called the Gibbons Model 11. Unfortunately, the Model 11 had some bugs that needed to be worked out, and a few folks died after the treatment. Oh, well. But the next year, the Model 111 was used in about 100 surgeries, and mortality rates dramatically dropped. It's always, you know, the technology, you got to get it going. Yeah, you don't want to make sure you get the right model on that one, huh? At least, and last but not least, is coronary angiography. This was a process used uh, where they used contrast dye in coronary arteries to produce diagnostic images of the heart. All this along with bad habits, huge cars, martinis, <laughs> color TVs, and the remote control. Oh, and the remote was such a big Big deal. So, wow, back from the past and on to the present, Shane. We have a great show today. RN, BSN, Brittany Wilson is the nerdy nurse, and she'll be a regular here on Nurse Talk. Brittany is one of the young, smart nurses who has her fingers on the pulse of technology and how to apply it and use it in our profession of nursing. That's right, Casey. And Brittany, a.k.a. The Nerdy Nurse, has written a book called, What Else? The Nerdy Nurse's Guide to Technology. And she'll be sharing her vast knowledge of that topic and much more here on Nurse Talk. And later we're going to talk with RN Laura 
Hinnerfeld. Laura is a nurse at Sutter Santa Rosa in California, a regional hospital, and she, along with 6,400 other nurses from California and Illinois, will be heading up strikes at their hospitals this week. At issue is the rising hospital profits instead of ensuring patient care. This is no joke, and if nurses were not advocating for patients and making hospital corporations more accountable, you as a patient might not get the care you need. So listen like your life depends on it, because it does. And one of our favorite guests and people, our in and humorous Karen Buxman, will be with us to talk about her 30-day laughter challenge. All this and more on Nurse Talk, where laughter is the best medicine. And hello to all of our listeners out there listening on Progressive Voices TuneIn, Radio Monterey, Inter Indiana Talks, and more. And now it's time for news and views, so take it away, Casey. Dr. Oz under fire from other doctors. Last week, 10 physicians penned a letter to Columbia University's Dean of Health Sciences and Medicine, calling for the university to out Dr. Mehmet Oz, who is a professor in the surgery department. The doctors accused Oz of egregious lack of integrity by promoting quack treatments and cures in the interest of personal financial gain. So here's some of the medical products that he... So the first one is pure green coffee, and the Oz quote is the magic weight loss cure for everybody type. Next is Carcinia Cambogenia, something like that, which is a fat burner. Raspberry ketone diet, Oz quote, miracle fat burner in a bottle. Step right up. Next was conjugated linoleic acid in green tea. No diet or exercise required. And these kind of go on and on. And they do go on and on. So what are your thoughts on, you know, I used to really like Oz, but yeah, he got a little carried away with himself and got caught up in all the products and he's kind of a quack it's pretty obvious he's standing up in front of oprah's audience and saying you can sit on your ass and lose weight and like yeah. that's not helpful not and the best it's not- but <laughs> i you know i have a soft spot in my place for him because i in my heart for him because i liked him as a doctor and i like that he's real and all of those things and yes he got carried away but pulling his license now or, well, or kicking him out of the university. No. Yeah, kick him out. Yeah, nah, I, I don't go for that. All right. Next so up. Next up, co-sleeping. Co-sleeping <laughs> is a practice in which babies and young children sleep close to one or both parents as opposed to in a separate room. Co-sleeping is better explained as a practice where two individuals sleep in sensory proximity to one another. This sensory proximity can either be triggered by touch, smell, taste, or noise. Therefore, the individuals can be a few centimeters away or on the other side of the room and still have an effect on each other. Very interesting. Your view, Shane? Uh, I don't, this is a thing? Like, I don't understand. This is definitely a thing. And and from somebody who grew up in a family of seven kids where I never slept alone, give me a break. I so prefer sleeping alone. I do get the whole deal, but um, it's a bit much for me. Yeah, I just, I, I just... Why do we have to, I don't know. We have, have to, to make everything. Yeah, everything. we do. We have to make right. everything a process. It, right. it is interesting. So despite the possible pros, various U.S. medical groups warn parents not to place their infants to sleep in adult beds due to serious safety risk. Bed sharing puts babies at risk of suffocation, strangulation, and sudden infant death syndrome. Studies have found that bed sharing is the most common cause of deaths in babies, especially those three months and younger. So now with that being said, then I really got to say, I think this thing is not a great idea. Uh, I'm just going to give me a reason to tell my girlfriend to sleep on the couch. Yeah, you're going to tell your girlfriend to sleep on the couch. That's great. I don't want to get the SIDS. (laughs) Yes, and I'm saying don't throw the baby out with the bed clothes. (laughs) (laughs) So that does it for our news and views. We'll be right back with why nurses are striking and we're not talking about baseball. You're listening to Nurse Talk, where laughter is the best medicine. 
Take an ordinary putty knife and scrape off the old wax ring. Place the new wax ring over the flange, then line up the bolts with the bowl and gently set in place, making sure a proper seal is created with the flange and drain. Next. Um, Dad? Uh, yeah, sweetie. Is that an old plumbing manual? Oh, um, yeah, yeah, honey. We really need to get some new books. Right, um, do, do you want me to stop? Nah, I kind of want to know how it ends. Okay, tighten the bolts, line up the flushing valve to the opening in the top of the bowl, and secure the tank with a screwdriver and crescent wrench. <laughs> the smallest moments can have the biggest impact on a child's life. Take time to be a dad today. Call 877-4DAD-411 or visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. There's hundreds of fun and simple things you and your family can do to live a healthier lifestyle. Here's 20 of them. Eat less, eat slower, eat smarter, eat your fruits and veggies, stop eating before you're full, up your fiber, lower your calories, get off the bus early, do some gardening, do jumping jacks, take the stairs, take one, not two, take on a new sport, take a long walk home, walk instead of drive, bend, stretch, reach for the stars, climb the monkey bars, skip the fudge bars. <sighs> Search We Can online to find more ways you and your family can get healthy together. A message from the Ad Council, HHS, and NIH's We Can program. So when you get to the corner of Smith and Orchard, you're going to want to take a you left. You are not going to Then what you're going to do is turn Marcy around to Marcy just broke up and go past and the first three lights happy and then it. take the next left. I don't really think five she's more happy, blocks and you should be who there. Who am I to judge, right? Park anyway, on the right. That's I'll what see you I later tonight. Night. It's hard to concentrate on two things at once, like texting and driving. Stop the text. Stop the wrecks. How will you stop texting and driving? Tell us at stoptextstoprex.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Nurse Talk. I'm Casey Hobbs, along with Shane Mason, and we are two of the thousands of nurses on duty today. Across the country, nurses are unified in insisting that hospitals improve RN staffing, which far too often is compromising patient safety and other patient protections, said NNU co-president Karen Higgins. Other issues at many of the hospitals include hospital demands for cuts in nurses' health care and other policies that hurt the retention of experienced RNs. More than 6,400 registered nurses will hold either a one- or two-day strike April 30th and May 1st at eight California hospitals as well as at a major Chicago hospital. RNs are calling on hospitals to stop endangering patients by implementing safe staffing levels and taking steps to retain experienced RNs. They're also demanding policies that give RNs a stronger voice in patient care delivery. Here with us to talk about the strikes is Laura Hinnerfeld, an RN who is working at the ICU in Sutter, Santa Rosa, California. Laura, welcome to Nurse Talk, and thanks so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. So, Laura, let's start out with first, how long have you been a nurse and what got you into this business? Um, I've been a nurse since 2005. I graduated from the Santa Rosa Junior College in the ADN program. Uh, it's a second or third career for me, and it was a taking stock process, let's put it that way, and uh, it's been a great, a great profession for me. I just have to say I love that because... Because um, as somebody who came into it when I was very young, I love uh, nurses coming in as their second or third career because you're already so much more of a balanced person. You really make a much better nurse at that age, I think. Well, I like to think so, too. Thank you. 
<laughs> so can you give us an overview of the strikes and why the nurses are taking this action? Sure. Um, you know, uh, we're angry that Sutter continues to earn record surpluses, and, you know, they're a not-for-profit hospital, but they don't reinvest a surplus in direct patient care. So rather, they add services that will further enrich their corporation, things like concierge services, which are, you know, massage services for patients. And this is all based on patient satisfaction surveys. So, um, and we can talk about that a little bit later, but at the same time, they're cutting services um, that our communities need most. Um, so like mental health in certain communities, pain clinics in other communities. So pediatrics um, in other communities. Be for them. I'm yes. sorry. And I'm sorry, pediatrics in other communities. I, right, pediatrics, exactly. Um, they cut pediatrics uh, in Santa Rosa um, years ago, not not recently. But and also due to staffing shortages, um, we feel the patient and nurse safety is compromised daily. Um, And this is not a new problem. Um, Ratios have certainly alleviated that, but we really feel like um, we are working with bare-bones staff. Um, And then, you know, the other thing is Sutter is shifting its focus toward insurance products, um, and they're restructuring the coverage in a way that um, they're providing their... They're, they're shifting costs onto their own employees. Um, And then uh, their raises, such as they're proposing, really are keeping our wages stagnant. So um, this is all about, you know, Sutter's profits versus where they're reinvesting them and then patient safety, of course, as it always is. Well, and the other thing, the point that I would like to make that you brought up there is at a time where they're cutting critical services to patients, they gloss that over by the patients by offering, as you say, concierge-type services, making a hospital more like a hotel, and in fact, training their people to be more like a hotel-type model than a hospital model. And that's done pointedly so that they cover up what they're doing on the back end, which is cutting services like crazy and making it harder for experienced nurses. So what do you have to say to that? Yeah, no, I I mean, I couldn't agree more. Um, The Atlantic had an excellent piece on this uh, just this past week. And really what's happening is that nurses who have a lot of experience and have built up rapport with patients um, and really know what they're doing are being asked to be, I say, waitresses. (laughs) Um, You know, so we end up trying to make patients happy, which uh, really is not always in their best interest. I can make you very happy with lots of pain medication um, until you're dead, you know, really. So, mm-hmm. um, but, uh, you know, if you say I was, that your pain wasn't managed well in a survey, because my experience tells me that I'm really trying to get you out alive, um, that falls on the nurse's shoulders. Um, and and that's part of the fallout, I think, of what's happening lately in healthcare and corporate healthcare. So. Yeah. And, and what, what's at the bottom line of all these cuts? I mean, I think I can guess, but I'd like to hear it from you. As far as I can tell, it's enriching executive pockets. Yeah. It's yes. profits. Yes. I mean, and that's, taking that's the more, only thing. And that's just coming right off their tax forms, which I look at. I mean, I'm an activist, and so I want to see where my money's going. This is a not-for-profit corporation, so they're getting tax breaks. So when they're, not, when they're getting tax breaks, I want to see how that money's being spent, how my tax dollars um, are being spent. And so I actually go look at their forms, and there's a lot of perks in there for employees, for top executives. And Laura, let's be clear. So there are people out there who say that nurses should be at the bedside and why are you an activist? Because you have described yourself as an activist. So why is that so important to you? Well, I was an activist before I became a nurse. And I mean, I can't speak for all nurses and I can't speak for all activists. But I really would hope that anyone who's working in a service profession is engaged um, with that profession. Um, some people are activists on the academic level fighting 
um, so that evidence-based practice is always used. Um, and my side is more for advocating for patients and advocating for our communities because any one of us is, could be a patient at any time. And so what I really want to see is nurses really being supported and delivering the very best evidence-based care and being able to have a voice um, in, in advocating for their patients and to do that and not being stymied. So that's my end of it. I don't really know what to say to people who think anyone shouldn't be an activist. I think everyone should be an activist and should advocate for a, a greater community involvement. And what about staffing levels? You've mentioned that a couple of times. Not all of our listeners listen somewhere where they have safe staffing laws. What are safe staffing levels and are hospitals complying with them from what you can see? So there's a difference in California, um, thanks to the work of CNA, largely California um, was able to get ratio laws passed um, in our state, which helped tremendously in bringing um, safe patient care to the bedside. So in my department, the ICU, um, we have uh, a maximum of two patients for each nurse. In other departments, it's five or four. Certainly in mother-baby, where it's four couplets, um, I would question, from what I've heard, whether or not that's a a safe staffing level. Um, But that's what the law is. So there's, to me, a difference between um, what the nurse ratios are and what's safe staffing is. So you can be within nurse ratios but not have the auxiliary staff that you need so that nurses are pulled away from the bedside doing non-nursing tasks. Um, And to me, that's unsafe when nurses are not able to be at the bedside because they have to constantly answer the phones or um, they're doing housekeeping work or um, they're being called to be sitters for patients, patients who are not safe to be left on their own. You know, those are all uh, incidents where um, or where, especially in our hospital, where nurses are not getting the breaks they need um, and charge nurses who are supposed to not be taking care of patients, they're really managing the entire unit for a given shift. Um, charge nurses are being asked to do patient care, and that's really a conflict of what they can do. They can't um, simultaneously do the work um, of overseeing the running of the unit while providing direct patient care to a given nurse's assignment while she's on break, and that's often compromised. Which is so, so, all of that is so very important. So to speak to this point, Laura, do you think the public knew that Kaiser, for example, had a net profit of over $4.3 billion last year and recruited more than half a million more members last year alone that they would be interested to know why that same hospital continues to try and cut RN staffing ratios and benefits? So at a time where they have more members and more money than ever before, they're still doing the cuts. Yeah, I mean, I think they should be, if they're not interested, certainly Kaiser members should be very interested to know that because that directly uh, affects their safety. Um, and so, and and their rates, I would think. So there's there's economic issues, and there's there's simple public safety issues here. Um, and so we see that. Um, I, you know, I don't work for Kaiser; I work for Sutter. But um, you know, we've seen problems when nurses are too busy to keep an eye on their patients doing other things, or when there's not enough nurses, or when there's not enough staff. And there's been some very high profile cases. And I just want to highlight because I do see this every day, and I don't want to bash either Sutter or Kaiser or any of them because I think. All hospitals, I see it at Marin General as well, um, especially with Medicare recipients. The rules are really being stacked against the consumer and against the patient. So Absolutely. here again, Laura, the, the fight that CNA and NNU and nurse activists are doing is the fight for all of us in the community because there are record profits at the same time there are huge cuts. 
Right. And I think, uh, you know, the Affordable Care Act really did bring a new population of insured patients to these hospitals. And so for them to uh, claim poverty is a little disingenuous. And Laura, what do the nurses want to accomplish with these strikes? What's the goal? Well, we've been bargaining since July, um, and really we need to move this along. I think um, I don't feel that Sutter is being either respectful or... um, taking us seriously in our bargaining. And so uh, nurses really have thought about this long and hard. This is not a rash decision to strike. We don't like strikes. We want to serve our community and we want to be at work. But we uh, really need this bargaining to move forward and we need Sutter to see that um, these are unacceptable uh, changes to our contract. So how can people find out more about this? And more importantly, how can they help? The CNA website is a great source, calnurses.org. As uh, I go there, just to keep up to date on legislative action and then what's happening uh, within my system and, and in public health. There's been some great articles recently uh, and not so recently. There's, a, Like I said, there was one in the Atlantic last week called The Problem with Satisfied Patients. There's an older, great expose called from Time called The Bitter Pill. So that's all big overview articles that are terrific. And then, um, you know, you can help by calling legislators by getting out there on Thursday. I don't know if you're going to put this on air in time for our strike, but supporting nurses where you see them um, and really just keeping up to date. All right. So, Laura, thank you so much for being a great nurse and an advocate for all of us. We've been talking with RN Laura Hinterfield about the upcoming nurse strikes here in California and in Illinois. For more about this information, uh, go to nnu.org. And thanks again for being with us, Laura. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. It was fun. We'll be right back with RN Brittany Wilson. She is the nerdy nurse and you won't want to miss it. I started going cold turkey. Well, at least when I'm in the car. I know I shouldn't do it, but it's so hard to stop. That's why I hide it from myself, so I won't be tempted. I used to do it all the time. I stopped by locking it in my glove compartment. My friend used to do it way too much. Now I turn it off when we're in the car. My solution is simple. I just don't do it. There are lots of ways to stop yourself and others from texting and driving. How will you stop? Tell us at stoptextstoprex.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Gianna Garrell from Progressive Voices. Today, the angry roar of the conservative media machine dominates TV and radio, threatening to drown out and push out anyone who dares to discuss our progressive perspectives and ideals. But we can't let that happen. We have too many strong, smart, and important progressive voices who need to be heard. That's why here at PV, we're building a 21st century progressive media universe, one where all the best in progressive media can come together rise above the static and the noise, and be heard by anyone, anywhere. And we need your help. We're in the middle of a critical campaign to make our dream of 21st century progressive media universe a reality. But we can't do it without grassroots support from people like you. Head over to ProgressiveVoices.com to see how you can help. Please support this important progressive mission. Because with your help, we can make sure all our progressive voices are heard. Casey, what time is it? Time to stay out of trouble. We, we are nurses. nurses. We, we cannot, cannot prescribe, prescribe, diagnose, or treat, but, but we can, can give good advice. advice. 
Does that include fashion advice? Nah, stick to what you're good at. You should talk. Welcome back to Nurse Talk, where laughter is the best medicine. I'm Casey Hobbs, along with Shane Mason, and we are two of the thousands of nurses on duty today. Well, Casey, I'm so excited to introduce this segment, and of course, our guest RN and BSN, Brittany Wilson, who is the nerdy nurse. But I thought you were the nerdy one, Shane. Well, you're thinking of a different definition. That's just because I'm constantly dressed up like Captain Jean-Luc Picard. (laughs) I'm just kidding, Shane. That's not the kind of nerd that Brittany is. (laughs) That's true. And we're so looking forward to having Brittany as a regular guest on Nurse Talk. We need the expertise of a nurse that really knows how to put technology to work because you and I clearly are not skilled in that way. Clearly, Casey. Brittany's an informatics nurse with a passion to improve healthcare and everyday life through the use of technology. She identifies herself as a patient, nurse, and technology advocate and actively blogs on related topics at thenerdynurse.com. She's also written a great book called The Nerdy Nurse's Guide to Technology, which everyone in our profession should probably pick up. In the coming months, Brittany will share with us how to successfully embrace digital documentation, which would be a real winner if she's able to get me to embrace that, improve patient care using tablets and smartphones, cement yourself as an asset to your employer, use social media to advance your career, and much more. Brittany, welcome to Nurse Talk. It's a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Sure. So, well, Casey and I need all the help we can get, but first tell us how and why you got into nursing, please. I would like to tell you that when I was a little girl, I would uh, put Band-Aids on my baby dolls and was always right. the first to act. Um, it's, that's just honestly not the case. Um, I kind of stumbled <laughs> into nursing. When I thought I was going to transition into the medical field, I wanted to be a plastic surgeon because I thought that was the one aspect of healthcare that dealt with the quality of life. Now, this is me before a nurse <laughs> thinking that. So... <laughs> I stopped off along the way to get a nursing degree, right, which is kind of a funny thing to do um, because I wasn't sure. That's a long time to be in school if I was really going to be cut out for it, right? So I became a nurse, and it wasn't until probably six months into it that I realized I wanted to be a nurse, and it stuck, and I've been here ever since. Oh, that's great. Interesting. And so from there, because you wanted to go into plastic surgery, what kind of nursing did you get into? So I did what all the nursing educators tell you to do. I did my two years in med search. Um, and, you know, the opinions on that are changing on whether or not you have to definitely get that experience in med search first. You know, yes. a lot of students go right out and go into a specialty, right? I did my two years in med search, and at the two-year mark, I said, I can't do this forever. It will kill me. Um, and I was looking for things to do to improve my education. I was thinking about getting a master's degree, and I was doing some research, and I suddenly discovered informatics. And it was like the stars aligned, and the, the sun shone down, and the angels wow. sang, and I was like, this is a career for me. Wow, you've so, got a bad girl. If this, If the moon and stars arose to get you into informatics, you definitely are meant for that field. <laughs> That's great. Well, you know, there's not a lot of education about it in school. I mean, most nurses right. don't even know that this career exists. You're so right about that. So using the term technology empowered, what does that mean? So I think t- technology empowerment um, is kind of a fancy way to say just owning technology and knowing that you're better than it. Computers are dumb, right? They only do what we tell them to. So technology empowerment is all about knowing that nurses are are excellent users and advocates of technology in in most regards. They use it every day, all day long, but yet 
eighty percent of them that I meet tell me they're no good at it. They tell me they're they don't they aren't any good with computers. And so I want to help nurses feel more confident that they are good with computers. They wouldn't be able to work as a nurse if they weren't. And that if they feel that confidence, they can actually do a whole lot more with technology that will improve their lives. Well, I have to say, I liked what you said earlier that computers are stupid and they only do what we tell them to do. I think that nurses have the opposite point of view. And I know that, you know, I'm somebody who advocates using uh, electronic medical records and that in my workplace. However, I find that most nurses are afraid by technology and feel that it's smarter than them. I think you're absolutely right. Um, so I have found that the approach that works best with that audience, and it's a, it's a certain age range of nurses, you know, if yeah, you grow up range. with it, you're, you're not as afraid of it, right? <laughs> That's right. And you grew up with it, I take it. Well, yes. Uh, so I am a little bit on the younger uh, region, but not as young as I look if you look at my photograph, I will say that. <laughs> um, but it's all about just driving the confidence. And sometimes that just means letting a nurse know that they are good at it and that even though that this is not ideally, you know, they would prefer to use paper, that electronic documentation is not a bad thing. And I've had the luck of actually getting some nurses to admit to me, yes, the electronic is better. I do like it better. I would never want to go back to paper. And that, to me, is a huge win. That's huge. But, Brittany, how do we get people past this fear? I mean, I can tell you I'm a bit of a technophobe myself, but also... Honestly, I feel like a lot of times when I have to adopt new technology, I spend so much time fiddling with it that I'm I'm not really connecting with my patients. So how can you get someone like me to kind of get over that fear? So first of all, hospitals um, don't do a great job of educating and empowering their nurses. Uh, I see it every day um, and I hear about it every day. One of the things I did as an informatics nurse was empowered and educated the nurses. And a lot of hospitals don't have people devoted to that. Um, their informatics professionals work more as, like, tech support. Yes. And so they don't have the time to provide that education and hand-holding, right? That is one major thing that nurses can do. They can say, I need an educator. I need somebody to help me. They can ask for that. And also, they can seek it out themselves. If they don't feel comfortable with it, you know, go up your chain of command. And it may be that they ultimately become the super user and the trainer. And it's actually a great way to advance their career as well. What I find, Brittany, is that we need somebody like you to bridge the gap between IT and nursing because IT speaks a certain language. And when I speak to the IT folks about what's not working in my computer, they nine times out of 10 will tell me that that, I couldn't possibly have gotten that result and there's no way that could have happened. They don't speak my language and I don't speak their language. So I think somebody who's trained in informatics is, is key. And I like your point being that um, ask the people that you work with for more education around this. And I love the starting point of feeling that your computer is stupid and you are smart because it's going to do what you tell it to do as a base for people to start. I think that's a, a brilliant way to move into it. So now talk to me, Brittany. I've, I've been in the nursing for 38 years. Tell me, how would you get me to use my smartphone on the job to make my job more efficient and easier? There's a double-edged sword that comes to play because you've got to be very careful about using your personal devices in the workplace. When yeah, you're right about that. Right? Yes. So you can't put any personal identifying information. You don't, don't violate any of those rules of HIPAA unless you want to find new employment. But beyond that, there are a lot of apps that you can download or even websites that you can look at that will give you useful information. For example, like Davis Drug Guide is available on your smartphone. Oh, yeah, yeah, the, the, the drug reference guides. Yeah, I've got a couple of those on my phone. Ah, okay. 
And what ones do you recommend? Are there any that are better than others? So I tell you, um, one of the apps that I recently took a look at was called Skyscape. And I really like it because it compiles like a huge database of all kinds of different books Mm. and references as far as in calculators for nurses. And you can download most of the books that you need for nursing school and most of the books that you need while on the floor. Things like lab values and um, medication, so on and so forth. Yeah, and I actually, I use Skyscape. It's a, it's a good reference. The smartphone apps are, I find, to be pretty helpful. I think where I get into trouble is when uh, some new computer system is forced upon me. I get resentful if it's something that I don't feel like I need. And do you, do you think that that's something that you can help people with? I think nurses as a whole sometimes feel like we don't want to adopt this. And so I think it puts barriers up that don't need to be there necessarily. I- agree with you. So I think a lot of the issue with the reason the nurses get the resent for it is they, they're not given a whole lot of information about why they need to be on this new system, right? Right. Yes. It's, here you go, do this, don't ask any questions, right. it's your job. Yep. And, and that's not the right approach. Um, and the fact of the matter is that you're not just being made to use electronic charting just because the hospital wants to. The hospital probably would prefer not to. It costs them millions of dollars to buy that software, right? Yes. So the reason nurses are are being made to document electronically, and and frankly everyone, is because of um, something called meaningful use, which not only incentivizes hospitals, but ultimately penalize hospitals if they don't get this information in an electronic format that is meaningful and usable. So instead of just putting it in there all, you know, mishappenly or, you know, haphazardly, uh, they'll put it in there in a mechanism that records information on patients that can be tracked and trended to predict future outcomes and also is used to calculate overall reimbursement. So that's the side of things that most nurses don't understand. It's not that their hospital saying you have to do this just because the hospital is being forced to do it and it has to be in place in order to, to make sure hospitals deliver the best patient care. You know, that's true, Brittany. And just that in and of itself is, is a barrier for me with the information systems because I'm somebody who advocates that, but I also see that they use this technology to cut our jobs, frankly, and to, to find ways to cut in the system. So that's one issue I have with the Uh, electronic medical records, although on the one hand, I like it because I know we need it because that data is very valuable and you can see trends and track things and and learn valuable information. On the other hand, it can be used against you. Um, And the other thing that I hate is the scripting. So what I don't like are the heavy-duty algorithms that come with a lot of nursing um, occupations in which you really don't have a chance to say anything human to human you're simply working off of your script. Um, and that can be really painful. So what do you have to say to those things? I tend to agree with you on the scripting. Um, I think we're taking the human aspect out of healthcare when we get to the point where a nurse is supposed to be a robot and repeat lines on the screen. Yes. Um, I understand the reasoning for it, uh, it because of, you know, uh, HCAPs and Joint Commission and all the regulatory bodies that want you to make sure patients receive and hear a certain thing, but we're going off the deep end. So yes. I 100% agree with you about that. So I think that's where it takes us, who are the nurses, um, advocating to say, look, tell me what I need to do, but you don't have to tell me exactly how to say it. Yeah, that that's very helpful. And Brittany, we wanted to mention your blog is thenerdynurse.com, but also we wanted to talk about your book real quickly. Why did you write it and where can people buy it? So I actually wrote the book because um, a publisher <laughs> came up to me and asked, you should write a book about all this great stuff you're doing on your blog. And I 
had to think real long and hard because a book is a lot different than a blog post, right? A blog post, yes. you can get down in a couple hours, put it out, it's instant gratification. And the book took me months and months, and, and I had a brain tumor in the middle of it. I mean, it was an wow. arduous process. It, it nearly killed me. So is informatics that dangerous that it's going to give you a brain tumor? <laughs> That's scaring the crap out of me, Brittany. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, it was just kind of part of the journey, right? I, I have lived a very colorful life, but that was just one of the colors of, of my palette, I guess. Nice. I love how you put that. Very nicely done. <laughs> Thank you. So I wrote the book um, after much persuasion because I wanted to help nurses feel disempowerment over technology, that they are smarter than their computers and that computers only do what we or a software programmer has told them to do. And I wanted to educate nurses on the reasons they were being told to do things, and also what they could use technology for to benefit themselves personally and professionally. That's great. I am so glad that we got you on the show because um, I think you're going to be a wonderful asset to us. So thank you so much for your years of nursing, but especially for getting into informatics and and writing the book and uh, being on Nurse Talk. We enjoyed it. Thank you so much. You guys can pick it up at Amazon.com or or um, iTunes or any place where books are sold. Excellent. Great. So we've been talking with RN Brittany Wilson. She's the Nerdy Nurse. For more information on this topic or to visit her blog, make sure to go to thenerdynurse.com. Again, thanks for being with us, Brittany. We look forward to having you back on the show. We'll be right back with health trivia and your email questions. You're listening to Nurse Talk, where laughter really is the best medicine. It takes 12 years to create a graduate. It takes about the same time to create a dropout. The difference between a child becoming one or the other could be you. Studies prove that reading to a child regularly dramatically improves reading skills. And kids who read well by third grade are four times as likely to graduate. So United Way is calling for one million volunteers over the next three years. We're asking you to step up, make a pledge, tutor a child who needs help, Mentor a kid who needs someone on their side. Volunteer to read to children. Make a difference. Because when a child advances, we all advance. Entire communities improve. The path to success or failure starts long before graduation day. And the difference between a graduate and a dropout could be you. Be a reader, tutor or mentor. Give, advocate, volunteer. Live United. Take the pledge. Go to liveunited.org now. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. You are a waste, a loser. Everyone hates you. Why don't you just stay in your car and keep driving? I'm serious. Drive until you run out of gas and get out of your car and walk until you find someone who doesn't think you're dumber than bricks. Could take a while, but at least all that walking might burn a couple of calories. You may not witness bullying like this every day. Your kids do. They want to help, but they don't know how. Visit StopBullying.gov to learn safe, simple ways your child can help stop bullying. Be more than a bystander at StopBullying.gov. A message from the Ad Council. (laughs) 
All right, since we're talking technology this week, I want to say that all materials relating to health trivia are the sole responsibility of Nurse Talk LLC <laughs> and are not affiliated with any network or stream service airing our show. And is that from our nerdy nurse that you're reading that? Dave, why are you turning me off? Dave, Dave, I miss you. Yes, that's what I think of technology. Tweak, it's off. <laughs> so our health trivia question this week is, if you're having a Bankart procedure... What is your condition? And Bankart is B-A-N-K-A-R-T. So if you're the first person to answer this question by looking it up or just guessing, you can email us at contest at nursetalksite.com. And if you're the first person with the right answer, you'll get a $25 gift certificate to Starbucks. Bankart procedure. Are you uh, familiar with it? It sounds like some Wall Street Ah, that's right. Yeah. It's, a new, it's the new uh, Robin Hood tax. They're yeah. ca- calling it the Bankart procedure. <laughs> Our question last week was, if you're suffering from lumbago, what do you have? Now, if somebody doesn't know this, this has got to be the word. Johnny, Anybody give me the whiskey. Anybody over 50 my knows lumbago. Oh, my lumbago. Give me, and that's exactly right. Whiskey was what they would prescribe for lumbago. I wonder if it worked. Have you ever it tried that? It works for everything. <laughs> <laughs> Not being a drinker, I don't know these things. And I didn't know, did you know, that certain uh, booze is for certain things, like whiskey. Somebody was just explaining this to me, and I had no idea. It treats a certain, you know, it'll make you happy, and one oh, yeah. will dumb you down. If I want to dance, I drink vodka. If I want to get in a fight, I drink whiskey. Is that right? Yeah. And so it has different effects. I didn't know this, not being a drinker. It's, if I if I'm drinking some vodka, I'm more likely to be like dancey and smiley. If I'm drinking some whiskey, I'm more likely things might take a dark turn that night. Very interesting. I had no idea that booze was different and affected you differently, and that you drank according to what you wanted to have happen. I didn't get that. Quite yeah. fascinating. But anyway, back to our topic of lumbago. It is back pain. Most definitely involving the muscles of the bones and of the back. And many of us, let's be real, I, I can't think of anybody who hasn't had back pain at some point in their life. And back health is very important. I know you had a, you yeah. had a real severe back I st- yeah, issue. Yeah, I've got all kinds of low now, back did, Was that from an injury, a specific injury, or was it just I think it's a combination term? of an injury and then years and years and years of movement disorder, like sitting incorrectly, um, getting up and down incorrectly. And I've gone to see a, a basically an exercise specialist who's helped a lot. And so I think you should just tell people about that because I find what he did with you so brilliant. And it's kind of against the, you know, so it's like we had that physical therapist on who was talking about core strength. It's a lot like that. Well, I, yeah, I was told don't, don't exercise, don't travel, don't have sex, don't have, do all this stuff. And I for a while, I was like, okay. And then finally, I was like, that's BS. Like, that's no life. I'd rather have pain and live my life. And I found someone who's um, a kinesiologist who's gotten me exercising again. And I'm in actually one of the best conditions I've been in in my life. And my back pain's way better. So. Okay. So give a shout out to that person because I think it's very helpful. Where is Leo it? Leo Scheid at Advanced Wellness. I want to have them on the show one day. They're great if you're in the Bay Area and you have pain but want to get back exercising, go see the folks at Advanced Wellness. They're incredible. And they are. And so, and I've had this happen for a lot of people who have back pain. And they will go see a doctor or a physical therapist or a specialist who will tell them, oh, that's it. You're stuck with the pain and you've got to avoid all of these 
these activities. And that just isn't true. So Shane, who's had a lot of back issues, Mm -hmm. and I've had my own back issues, go to the next practitioner. Go to another physical therapist. Go to another chiropractor. Go to somebody else because there's a lot of people out there who work with chronic issues related to your back, and it does not have to be a surgical intervention. There's a lot you can do to strengthen and get back to doing all the things. So you can do everything they told you originally not to do, right? Yeah. In fact, the more I do of that stuff, the better I feel. Does my back hurt sometimes? Yes, but I don't catastrophize the pain. I don't let the pain define who I am. And it's like I can be at home sitting on the couch and be in pain, or I can be hiking around the ocean in pain, and which is better for me, hiking around the ocean, for sure. Absolutely. It's very interesting, and that brings me to another topic, totally related, not related, but pain and our resistance of pain. When we resist the pain, it gets so much bigger. So um, for folks out there, that's just a short little brief. uh, But if you're struggling with chronic pain, there are people out there who can help you. And I just encourage you to find those people for yourselves and and don't live a life subjected to no movement and lots of pain. You know, Shane, how we always say laughter is the best medicine. So who do you think first said that? I heard that it was comedian and humanist Dick Cheney. Comedian and humorous with the name Dick Cheney doesn't seem like a cohesive sentence to me. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know who it was. Uh, well, our crack research team looked it up, and it turns out it was a couple of doctors back in the '60s who were uh. studying uh, laughter. So that's quite fascinating. Well, speaking of laughter, welcome, Karen Buxman. Always great to have you with us. Always great to be here. Always great to be here. I love it to connect with like-minded people, and I love the fact that you guys deliver serious messages, but you do it with fun and with humor, and that's what it's all about. Well, before we start talking about your 30-day humor challenge, Karen's a frequent guest on Nurse Talk. She's a neurohumorist, a keynote speaker, an author, and a nurse, and just an all-around talented person and funny person on top of it. So, Karen, tell us about your 30-day humor challenge. Well, April is National Humor Month, and so, uh, you know, a week or two before the humor month was coming up, I was thinking, you know, what can I do to challenge myself? And I thought, well, you know, I'm just going to do something every day that's humorous. And and for me, I do that mostly anyway. But I've had so many people when I present around the country and even around the world who have said, oh my God, I wish I could take you home with me. And I just, you know, I can't think of anything fun to do. And so I thought, well, why not just break it down into simple tips, something that you can do, you know, from your home, from your office. And and to be quite frank, I also tried to keep this in mind for other populations. I'm on the advisory board for Invisible Disabilities. A lot of those folks can't even leave the confines of their homes. I tried to keep that in mind with the majority of these, that there's some version of these that you could do from anywhere. And just break it down into simple, simple things, whether it's becoming the master of your remote control. Don't just be there and be a, a you know, a fun potato on your couch and, and glaze, have your eyes glaze over at what's in front of you. You know, it's, it's about being intentional. What can you intentionally do every day to create a humor habit? And with that, what happens is we build our resilience. We build our bandwidth. You know, humor is great for, I mean, nurses who are listening to this, you know, you get the everyday little challenges and stressors that come up that you just kind of feel your shoulders get tight or your jaw gets set, but you get through it. But occasionally we have these periods of time that are extended for days or weeks or God forbid months or years. And with that, we need bandwidth to be able to deal with that. And And humor is not the only tool, but oh my gosh, it's accessible, it's easy, you don't need talent, you don't need equipment, you don't need extra money to do this. And the more you practice it, the more you increase your bandwidth. That's so true. And so I'm finding that people 
tools to do it with. Karen, you're on day 19. Give us an overview of one of the challenges. Okay, well, one of the challenges that I think maybe you're not seeing that is up there is challenge day 21, fun with Siri. It was like, you know, you're stuck in line, you're stuck in the doctor's office, you're in in an elevator. And we talk on our phone all the time, but how many of you have actually talked with your phone? And so I just, I spent some time asking Siri silly questions, you know, to see what would her answer be. And I mean, some of them were just hysterical. I never knew that she would actually talk back with me. Um, they are very economy. funny. I've had, a, I've had a lot of fun doing that. And you're right. It's an easy thing to do. Everybody has a smartphone. You know, I just the other day, just out of curiosity, we couldn't think of this, how the theme song went to Big Bang Theory. And uh-huh. that's what was, that spurred this whole idea to do this as a challenge. So I got on and I said, Siri, sing me the theme song to Big Bang Theory. And her response was, Karen, that is so wrong, I don't even know where to begin. <laughs> and I, I couldn't believe it. I was just, oh, I, I got great. hysterical. I got hysterical. But, you know, it, you know, designate a humor buddy. Find somebody that you can laugh with. You know, wearing something funny, whether it's subtle or, what, you know, I, I think we had an episode in there where um, my wonderful husband slash business partner was uh, modeling silly socks. You know, you wouldn't know unless you pulled up your pants like the joke that his socks say bazinga and have tapes on them. Keeping toys around your office or in your home. I started, we have bloopers. One of these days I'll do a blooper reel. I was like, you know, you can have toys, you know, in your office, in your kitchen, in your bedroom. And I thought, oh my God, that's a whole nother (laughs) x-ray. We don't want to go. That's an x-rated version when you take the bedroom or even the kitchen can be. (laughs) <laughs> exactly. You know, but they're, they're just being silly, um, reading for humor. We've, we've had a lot of responses where people have given us their ideas. Uh, there's one coming up in a few days on cartoons, you know, not just reading them passively, but how can you use them proactively? Um, there's another one coming up with car games. Oh, there's one. Oh, my gosh. I will not tell you how long we spent going through the store, trying um, not to be obvious to the store managers because they didn't want to get kicked out, but just fun with food. Whether it looks funny, whether it sounds funny, whether it tastes funny, you know. Yes, you could have a lot of fun with food. What can you do to see the humorous angle in something in your day? I just got to say there that made me think, Karen, when I was working in hospitals, I went and put apple juice in a urine specimen cup and put a label (laughs) on it. And I took it out to the nurse's station and I said, okay, here's the specimen for the patient in room 405. And the clerk looked and said, we don't need a urine specimen. I said, I just hate to waste a good specimen. And I opened it up and (laughs) drank it in front of the nurse's station. It's always good for a laugh. (laughs) <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm telling you what. We love that. You know, pranks, funny, you know, practical jokes. That's a great one. I'm going to write that down. So, you know, this year we're doing it on the fly. It's kind of down and dirty, and we're having a few technical difficulties. So people, you know, just keep checking back because hopefully we'll figure out why some of them aren't showing up. This is the first annual. So next year we'll certainly start more than two weeks out because this <laughs> yes. really has just been kind of crazy busy. But, yeah, and I would love to hear people's ideas on what would they like to see or do they have ideas because, again, that's helping us create more material. And, you know, we're just putting it out there. It's free. It's fun. You know, if something resonates with you, great, do it. If it doesn't, look at another day because we want you to be able to do something. You know, as I, I'm, com- I'm writing a book right now, I'm, I'm leading with levity, and one of the, uh, actually several of the people I've interviewed have talked about the importance of being authentic. Mm. And it's, you know, don't try to be someone you're not. Don't try to do something that makes you feel so uncomfortable. But that being said, do be willing to stretch a little bit out of your comfort zone. You know, because so many of us are like, oh, my gosh, I might feel silly or I might feel foolish. But you're missing out on a lot of fun if you just give yourself that permission 
to not care whether or not somebody thinks you look a little bit crazy. It's a lot of fun, but also there's tangible health benefits, as you've talked about before. It can really help improve your quality of life and your longevity of life. Is that correct? The research just keeps coming in. And, you know, one of the groups that I, that I dearly love, and I just can't wait for you guys to show up again one of these days, uh, the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. This year, the conference is about healthy brains because we're right. now getting so much evidence about how humor helps your brain. And that being said, AATH is still not too late for you guys to sign up. What's the date of the conference and where? It's going to be in Philadelphia this year, May 28th through 31st. And uh, there's about 20 CEs available. There's some grad credit available. If people are interested, they can go to AATH.org. It's the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. And in 2016, um, we're going to be in Phoenix. So that'll be a little bit closer to you guys um, yes. if you actually great. want to make a great. site visit. But uh, we loved having you there a few years ago. We'd love to see you again. It's a great conference, and I want to say shout out to this conference. And anybody who's in that area in Philadelphia at the end of May, check out this conference because it really is worth the wait. We have leading scientists who are going to be presenting. I mean, the line of the speakers that we have every year, the caliber just gets higher and higher. It's very exciting. It I, is just, I get giddy when I think about it. Great. But, you know, I'm, so what are you going to do for fun this week? What's, what's something that I can challenge you to do in the next 24 to 48 hours? Well, I'm definitely going to check out uh, your 30-day challenge, and I'm going to pick something on your list to do. I think it's a great idea, and I like the idea of challenging myself every day to do something funny. And you don't have to just do it during Humor Month. Obviously, this can be done any time of the year. And for people who are having trouble finding it, if they go to YouTube and they put in Humor Challenge or 30-Day Humor Challenge... Um, it, it it should come up with all of the uh, the different days that we've posted. But That's we're going to just try to make it easier and easier for people to find. And it also can be found on my website. Yeah, just so be we're careful. pushing it out through social media and as many places as we can because we want people to be able to access this and practice it. It's so good for you. Yeah, yeah just be careful you don't accidentally access the 30-day colon cleanse because that would be a whole oh, other experience. There you, so go. you can find uh, out about yeah, uh, Karen. That, that, I'm not, I'm not signed up for that one. <laughs> you can find out about Karen at karenbuxman.com. Her 30-day right. humor challenge is there as well as all of her other great projects. And always a pleasure to have us have you on the show, Karen. Thanks. Thanks so much for oh, being with us. We really appreciate it. to you guys it. again soon. Don't be strangers. Okay, next up, email questions. Shane, take it away. All right. So, dear nurses, comedian Roseanne Barr recently said she was going blind and had glaucoma and macular degeneration. She also said she smokes and eats pot because it helps her. Is it true that pot helps those conditions? And if so, how? This is from Jerry Mangione in Springfield, Illinois. Well, Jerry, that's right. Roseanne did say that. And depending on who you listen to, pot can or cannot help those conditions. Most doctors, however, say pot smoking is not a treatment for these conditions and, in fact, can be harmful. In a recent article by President and Chief Surgeon, of the Key Whitman Eye Institute of Dallas, Jeffrey Whitman, said as recent as June of last year, the American Academy of Ophthalmology released a statement saying there is no basis for prescribing marijuana for the treatment of glaucoma. Compared with modern-day glaucoma treatment, smoking marijuana has not been shown to have any long-term efficacy for the treatment of the disease, Dr. Whitman says. In the 
fair majority of cases, modern-day treatments, not marijuana, can help arrest the progression of glaucoma and macular degeneration. The key is that you want to detect these diseases early on and treat them before a lot of damage occurs. So some say marijuana might mildly relieve the symptoms and treat the stress associated with the condition, but not much evidence that it actually helps the, the treatment. However, um, having said that, there is the anxiety that's caused by having these issues. I think that uh, marijuana can help, but it's not going to treat the original condition. And interestingly enough, macular degeneration, they're saying, you know, there's treatments for it. There are, but n- there's no cure to my knowledge. Yeah, and for any of those, you, uh, those of you that are paying attention to the news, the, the doctor for CNN, Sanjay, Dr. Sanjay Gupta, has recently come out on CNN and taken a big stand on we need to legalize marijuana. Yes. Pretty brave thing it on is, his part. Yes, um, it is. And so I, I think we're, I think what's going to be helpful is when this is legalized, then we can get data and determine, okay, it's not helpful for glaucoma, but it is for this and this. Yes. Now you got a lot of people that heard it's helpful for glaucoma, so they're using it and maybe they're not using other treatments. We need this data so we know what it works for and what it doesn't work for as well. That's good data as well. It is, and it's really important. And the only way they're going to get that data, Shane, you're right, is if we legalize it and we start doing some real studies on the efficacy of pot because I think there is a lot of medicinal um, evidence that that there's that it can help a lot yeah. of things. And Pink Floyd sounds awesome. <laughs> there's oh, that too. All right, next email, Shane. Dear Casey and Shane, longtime occasional listener, and I really enjoy your offbeat show. I like that they're occasional listener, but long time. <laughs> <laughs> I live in Nebraska, Hastings, to get specific. Mm. Nice beaches, beautiful golf courses, everything you would expect when you think yeah. of Nebraska. Here's my question. My wife just got the results of her regular pap smear, and the report came back positive. At first, I thought that was good. Then she said that it didn't mean good. It meant they saw something irregular. The report stated they found atypical squamous cells. Since she had cancer 10 years ago, I immediately thought this was probably fatal news. I went into high gear and and got a second opinion. That didn't really ease my concerns because my neighbor doesn't know any more than I do. Love that. Rush out to get that second opinion from your neighbor. The best advice he gave me, though, was get a third opinion. So now it's your turn. We don't have insurance right now, and we're waiting for my wife's Medicare to kick in, so we are trying to limit our medical expenses, but I don't want to wait too long to do something. Ben W. in Hastings, Nebraska, listening on Indiana Talk Radio. Well, Ben, I'd like to say you've come to the right place, but I think there's a better place for you to go to get some follow-up tests done. The The news is, yes, you're right. A positive result does mean that they saw something suspicious. Uh, And atypical squamous cells do not necessarily suggest that precancerous cells are present. So on follow-up, your doctor can do a a better test to determine what's the cause of this and how how differentiated these cells are, which basically the more differentiated cells are, the the more dangerous they potentially are. The good news is, though, um, a lot of times... This resolves on its own. A lot of times there can be a minor surgical procedure or just watchful waiting to determine what's going to happen next. This is by no means a fatal diagnosis of any sort, but you need to get follow-up and you need to get some more information because it's scary sounding stuff. I acknowledge that. 
And depending on how long it is until your wife gets Medicare, I think it might be safe if it's, you know, only a few months or so until she gets Medicare, uh, because sometimes these tests are a little bit more expensive, and this is something that uh, I do believe Medicare would pay for. So good luck to you, Ben, and to your wife. It's always scary when you go in for pap smears and they come back with anything abnormal. And it's the same way with breast exams. Whenever I go in for mammography, it's always scary. And when they say, oh, we see something and you're going to have to come back, and, you know, it turns out to just be calcification, and I kind of knew that was what it was, but still, it's still, you quake in your boots every time. Yep. So uh, we appreciate the uh, email, and Ben, go do some follow-up. Take care of your wife. And chances are things are probably going to be okay. And I, Ben, I've I've really got to wonder too about maybe doing a mini MOCA test, which is test your cognitive function, because if your two sources to ask questions to are your neighbor and nurse doc, um, <laughs> not that we're not a great great show to call. Uh, I just think that's pretty funny. Yeah, talking to your neighbor <laughs> about your wife's cervix is. Maybe questionable judgment. (laughs) Yeah. So um, as long as you're out there researching this evidence for your wife, you might want to take the 30-day humor challenge. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. A great big special thank you to California Nurses Association and National Nurses United for their support of Nurse Talk. To learn more about today's topics, visit nursetalksite.com or nationalnursesunited.org. Thank you to our executive producer, Patty Locker, Daria Karpova, sound engineer, and June Miller, sound engineer, JMC Sound Design. Taylor Lockard, social networking, and Progressive Voices Tune In, and all our other wonderful broadcast partners. To laugh, you gotta listen. To listen, you gotta tune in. See you next week. We love you. Thanks for listening to Nurse Talk, where laughter is the best medicine. Brought to you by National Nurses United. Check us out on Facebook or go to our website at nursetalksite.com. For more information about National Nurses United and the California Nurses Association, visit nationalnursesunited.org. Until next week, remember, laughter is the best medicine.